Welcome to the Recruiter Startup Podcast. My name's Dilta Doherty, and in this podcast series, I will be speaking to investors, advisors, entrepreneurs, and recruiters who are based all over the world, and we will be discussing how to set up, scale, and operate a world-class recruitment company. This afternoon, I am bringing you to Paris. We are speaking to Nicolas Agrippo. He runs his own independent recruitment firm that is now fully retained, and we had a good chat to how he got to this point. Um, really good business. He does data science. He, It's him and his wife, and he's probably going to hire some other people in the future. But for now, he's relying on creating more partnerships with people in the marketplace that do similar things in order to increase his revenue. He's on a mission to build $1 million. And he walked me through his process from getting into recruitment in Dubai, actually, where he learned his trade, to before he set up his recruitment business, he got Roy Ripper involved, went through his training courses, and used that as a model to get himself up and running and profitable. Um, and then he's gone and used some other training courses to get to the next stage. So really, really interesting guy. It was nice to get to speak to somebody in Paris figure out a bit of that marketplace and I hope you all enjoy. Remember, you don't need to hire lots of people to make lots of money. We're in a different world now and these people are all proving it. So happy hunting. Enjoy. Over to Nicholas. Nicholas. Yes, Jota, how are you? Very good, very good. Welcome to the Recruiter Startup Podcast. Thank you. The first Frenchman we have on. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, excellent. Well, I can't speak French, unfortunately, even though I lived in Belgium for a number of years. Uh-huh. Us, well, uh, I, I, I... Sorry. us, us Anglophones, we're just not as good at picking up the other languages. <laughs> we're not good at all as well, huh? So I try. I try to speak in English, but uh, all right. I can guarantee I will. I, I can guarantee I, I will get rid of my accent. <laughs> well, uh, maybe by the end I'll be speaking English in a French accent. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Nicholas. So um, we first came in contact uh, because you listened to the episode I did with Joe Mullings. Is that right? Exactly. Yes. Well, what did you? What did you? What did you enjoy about uh, listening to Joe? Hmm. Uh, so many things. I mean, this guy. He. Uh, he knows uh, the industry inside out, right? And I think he um, is really shifting it uh, with the, the digital marketing and uh, what he's doing with his internal agency. So I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was plenty of, uh, of lessons, you know? Yeah. The, the, I suppose for anybody who hasn't listened to that episode, they could jump back and have a listen. But in, mm. in recap, um, Joe... Joe's agency make around 9 million a year and there's only 20 people in it. Um, mm. Out of those, I think there's 20 billers. I'm not too sure. I can't remember the exact figures. But for mm. every headcount that he puts in now, he usually has a digital marketer as well. So he's not just adding headcount to add salespeople. He's building his whole business around to turn his, he's building his whole digital internal team around creating sales monsters out of his own existing boutique staff wasn't that kind of the the general gist from it yeah that's it and and, and i think the system that he put in place is uh, 
is such a catalyst, you know, as he says, you know, you have uh, the A calls, the B calls, the C calls. And mm. so basically, if instead of doing 50% of cold calls, you do it, you're doing 80% of A calls, meaning warm calls, people who know you, have heard of you. Uh, of course, at the end of the day, you're going to close more business and, and have a higher revenue per capita, you know. So it's, uh, it's, it, it's uh, mathematics. So, yeah. And yeah. I, I don't think he's, he's fully formed the solution just yet. There's another guy uh, called Steve Lortz, and I've been on his show, Recruiter Fuel, and he, so he like, he runs, I don't know, it's a $50 million search firm. It's massive anyway. Um, and and they run all that through analytics and then do all the paid ads, everything from finding the people to making sure that they're the right people. It's all done. It's all done with the help of software to helping them get through their first year and, yeah, he's done the whole solution. He's almost done what Joe's done on a bigger scale. But I think mm. Joe has a real flair for marketing and presentation, yeah. right? Like he's he's a cool guy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, I mean, the, the agencies or the search firms who do not take uh, uh, that uh, uh, dynamic, uh, they, they will get left behind. I'm sure about that. You know, so yeah, it's interesting that you, that like I feel like people a lot of people say that but they're not really investing into it you know when they look at their mm -hmm. strategic plan um you're i think i think you're probably around around my age but you had a recruitment wasn't your first career you, you were in tech sales first is that right yeah i was an engineer even at the beginning oh, right. For, uh, okay. yeah and uh yeah but most of my career was around recruitment indeed yeah. so how did you get into recruitment where was it um, well, uh, so, you know, uh, so I studied uh, engineering, uh, but uh, uh, when I was uh, doing my internships, uh, uh, I, I discovered sales. Actually, I discovered the phone, uh, the telemarketing uh, through my internships. Mm. And I, I already knew uh, I wanted to sell. OK, and, and I, I knew I was uh, I was good on the phone, basically. So I started as an engineer because I, I said, OK, I, I graduated from engineering school. Let's try. Yeah. But uh, so just one year in this uh, engineering consulting company called Altran. I was promoted as a manager, and that's where I started to recruit other engineers. So I started to recruit in 2007. So I wasn't a headhunter at that time, but I was recruiting for my team. Um, and then a few years later, I was uh, uh, introduced to the founders of an executive search firm called Nails International. And they were looking for a very uh, sales, uh, entrepreneurial, uh, um, you know, minded uh, individual to develop the Middle East subsidiary in Dubai. Uh, and so, you know, I went there for a week, loved the place. Uh, and uh, that's when I started in 2012. Oh, cool. So you started your first recruitment job in Dubai. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, what was that like for a Frenchman? Was there, was there many cultural differences? Like, how was your English at the time? <laughs> it, it, uh, it was about the same as today. So Okay, very uh, good. But uh, the thing is... Uh, Actually, it's a very good question because the thing is, you know, there's a lot of competition there. Uh, and, uh, you know, being a native speaker in either English or Arabic is a big advantage. Yeah. And I'm none of them. So uh, my niche really was the French ecosystem. So, uh, um, you know, I was targeting the, the, the French business council, the uh, uh, French companies, uh, the French decision makers, etc. And that made a big difference because mm -hmm. I was one of the only, uh, well, one of the rare French speakers in that area. And... Uh, and uh, you know it's uh, it, it worked very well. 
<laughs> yeah, very good. Um, so you were there for nearly four years. What What did yeah. you like about life there? Hmm. Uh, it's uh, it, it never stops, you know, like 24-7, there's something going on. Um, so many uh, nationalities around, like, you know, I think uh, only 20% of people are local there. Um, so many opportunities, uh, you know, professionally and... Uh, and, uh, and yeah, to discover those cultures, you know, because I was in Dubai, but I was traveling in Qatar and Saudi Arabia. And, you know, it, it was really uh, uh, very enriching personally. Mm. And I must say also financially. Sure. Um, and it, I, so I'm presuming you're getting a bit of business from the French community there. But obviously you mm. had to sell to the, the Arab community as well. What was it like? Like, was, was there anything that you learned culturally that, that like along the way that, 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 that you would advise anybody who's thinking of going to Dubai? Yeah, so many things, you know, I mean, I think I would advise anybody going to Dubai to go through a, a cultural, uh, uh, um, you know, training at the beginning, because, you know, th there's so many differences in how you approach uh, locals and, uh, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the relation to time, for instance, uh, um, how, you know, they often say that uh, in a uh, one hour uh, meeting, you're going to talk 80% uh, of the time about personal things and 20% about business. But that's when you're going to sign that big contract. Huh. Um, Australia was a bit like that. Was it? Mm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I would say uh, it, it's really important, especially when somebody's going abroad for the first time, to, uh, to get ready for a kind of a shock, you know, uh, because uh, it's, it's really a different world. Really. And did, were, were you single there? Were you married? Like what, what was it? Yeah. Was it just you, or what? What was your personal? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was I was single, yeah. and uh, and I actually met my wife there. Oh wow! So, yeah. <laughs> all right. Very good. Um, yeah. So all in all, was it a good financial move for you? Yeah, very, very. Because you know, as as a single guy there, you can you can really save a lot of money. Yeah. Um, Women ruin when you that. have a family. <laughs> sorry, sorry. My, my wife ruined that. Okay, <laughs> she just spends money all the time. <laughs> so you know, but I think as a family, it's a bit more expensive because schools are expensive, and uh, you know, a lot of things are expensive when you have family. But uh, as a single guy, definitely you can make a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, was it yeah. was it a big decision to move back to France and get back into life there? <laughs> it was indeed, but you know, I, I always say to myself, I'm not going to stay more than five years because I think when you 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 reach that threshold, you never come back. Mm. You know, is your wife French? So, <laughs> Uh, she's not actually. She's from the Philippines. Okay, all right. Uh, and uh, yeah, <laughs> so it was also tough because you know at the beginning I came back alone in Paris. She wasn't my wife at that time. We didn't get married in Dubai, and uh, and yeah, I, I came back for a weekend a few months after, uh, asked her to marry me, and uh, thank God she said yes, and uh, and she followed me to to Paris. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah. back to Paris. Yeah, you're a managing partner of of a recruitment firm. Does that mean that you're one of the owners? Yeah, I, I'm the founder and I'm the uh, sole uh, proprietor, actually. Okay, so so it's, is it just you? It's me and my wife at the moment. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, I, it, I'm the, I'm in the same the same boat. Um, mm -hmm. only uh, I have a couple of assistants as well, but um, for the main okay. part, that's I can relate to what you're up to. Um, <laughs> so you're back. You decide to set up your own business, and. Was there any temptation to go get a job for somebody or 
after you'd made such good money in Dubai, were you kind of like, mm. you know, maybe it is time to set up my own business? Like, what? how did that decision come about? Yeah, yeah. You know, the thing is, that's it. You know, I, I was in Dubai. I, I, um, I had been promoted as a partner uh, of, uh, of the business. Uh, I was the managing director there of the, of the subsidiary at the end. And I said, okay, I, I can do it myself, you know. So that's why I came back to Paris, mm. actually, to set my own business. Uh, it took me a few months, you know, I was uh, considering a lot of options, going abroad or doing it in Paris. And, uh, and to be actually, it's a fun the thing is, I, at some point I said to myself, okay, you know what, let's, uh, I'm not sure what I want to do. Let's, uh, let's find a job for the moment, you know. And so I, I got that job in Paris. Uh, and uh, actually, it lasted, I think, for uh, two days and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I, I realized, you know, I, I can do this myself. Uh, mm. I, I have, you know, obviously, I, I saved some cash. Uh, I, I, I believe I have the skills. And so, I, you know, and, and that's how it started. Okay, let's talk in, into your strategic plan. You saved some mm-hmm. cash. Um, you've, yeah. uh, your first thought is I'm going to set up something, I'm going to get it profitable. Um, judging that you haven't scaled, you didn't go out and get funding or do any of that. No. So no. you obviously wanted to make a good lifestyle business. Um, mm. How did you choose the discipline to go after? How did you map all of that out? What was what was like, what was your thought process at the start? Mm. So uh, at the start, so first, I mean, maybe to share with, with um people listening who would like to start a business, I had uh, 50 to 60,000 euros in the bank that I could use to start. Which, okay, which for my is personal a nice, a nice buffer, hey? It is, it is. And, you know, it's, I think it's, uh, it's enough if you manage to close business after three to six months, because after that, it becomes difficult, uh, depending on your, on your personal Well, you, you don't have a double income either. So you're, you're no. funding t- no. two people in Paris. Paris is not a cheap city, hey? It's not, <laughs> it's not at all. So, so that's it, you know. So, so I would advise, you know, if, if you start, somebody starts a business, you have to have cash aside because otherwise, you know, you, you can run out of it so very, very quickly. Yeah. So, so that, that was number one. Number two is uh, I was really fortunate to uh, uh, meet Roy Ripper. Uh, ah, great. I know he's been on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. So I, what I did is, you know, I came back from Dubai. As I said, I spent a few months, you know, thinking what I'm going to do and I wanted to level up my game. Uh, as I was alone. And so I've done all, every single training program of Roy Reaper. You can name them, I've done them. And I said to myself, this guy is really good. And so I, uh, I, I had the, the great opportunity to be coached uh, by him one-on-one uh, for two years, actually. The first two years of my business, he was my coach, right? And so he really so many insights, you know, as to uh, how to get the right strategy. And so in a nutshell, what I did is I... Um, I chose to be super niche. Uh, I chose a niche that is related to tech because this is where I come from uh, and uh, a niche where I know there is a high demand and that was the data scientist. Okay, so I really only worked on those positions in Paris. So I was super local, super niche. And I decided to enter the market contingent. I I didn't say, but in Dubai, I was 100% retained. And I I said to myself, okay, there's already competitors Mm. in place. Uh, I want to go fast. I need to to generate cash fast. So I, I, I said contingent is the best way to do that. And the strategy was to use uh, uh, what we call the MPC calls, the, you know, the most placeable candidates yeah. calls. Um, although I don't really like that term because I, I, I don't consider place candidates, but you know, uh, that's, uh, uh, but, but, but in any case, that, that's the, the, what I was doing. I was representing exclusively the top 10% of data scientists in Paris, basically. That's what I did. And by doing that, 
I cracked through the PSLs of so many large groups, like I'm talking about the, the biggest banks here in France, the largest uh, uh, aerospatial group, these kind of you know large groups who have a lot of. Were you just sending the resume? And, were, you, were you having to like call call up? Were you, like how how are you going about that? Uh, you know, first, the, the, the thing is, I, I really met a lot of data scientists to make sure that I could identify the, the ones who are really good. You know? how, how did you meet uh, them? And, and then I had, the, uh, you know, I called them I, I, or I sent them an email to mm. LinkedIn. I went to meetups about data science, you know, every single channel that I could yeah. imagine. And uh, I, I told them that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm specialized. I'm a headhunter. I'm specialized uh, uh, in uh, data science. Let's meet. You know, that's all I did at the beginning. Like I didn't have any fake positions or anything. I just told them, let's meet. And then uh, I, uh, I told them that I have a process that uh, consists in representing them to the companies that they've dream, they dream to work for. Uh, and that, and you know, I, I mean, it's too long to explain the whole process. But basically, I really had something uh, very systematic to go with them through what they really want to do, uh, find the right companies and, and, and find the right pitch, how to introduce them in 30 seconds so that's uh, uh, the hiring manager will want to meet. Great. Them. And you went through all so of this with Roy, did you? Yeah, uh, definitely. And, and I also customized it to, you know, to the French culture and the French language, obviously. But yeah, uh, that Roy was definitely instrumental in, in, in this process. Yeah, yeah great. And uh, yeah, yeah. And, and it worked. It worked really well. And, and, and you know, that's how I, I started to generate. So my first deal, I think, was after three months. Uh, after six months, I was able to pay myself. After nine months, I hired uh, my wife. And uh, after 12 months, I exceeded 120,000 euros revenue. So, uh, and it, it worked thanks to the system. And then I decided after one year to convert, to go back to retail search because this is something I, I'm really very, which is very important for me. Uh, and now I only worked retail again. Why is your website half in English, half in French? It's not, you mean, because it's, yeah. Uh, because I'm I'm so local, yeah. you know? uh, there's so many things to do in Paris. So, so is it all is it all Paris-based stuff that you're doing, or because yeah, okay, all right, yeah. At the moment, it is because there, there's I mean there's already enough to do here. Okay. You know? uh, I, yeah. <laughs> so so you map out you map Roy's probably giving you a system to map out all the different clients, like all the places where mm. a data scientists could go, and then yeah. you choose which which of those you want to work with. Um, based yeah. based on on just on that, I bet you, I bet you over time that list has changed, and who you thought were good at the start aren't necessarily your mm -hmm. favorite place to put people now. True. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, you, you learn by uh, by uh, doing, you know. So, uh, <clears throat> but um, it was uh, that that's really how it worked. Yeah. Really interesting. And when when you look at your business now, um, mm -hmm. you obviously. If, you, if you're interested in what Joe Mullings was saying, what is it about so, social media and that side of things that you think will impact recruitment in the future now? Like what type of things will you be doing in your business to, to prepare for the future? Mm. So I, I think... Has Roy know, got another uh, course coming out? <laughs> yeah, and actually he, he also gave me a lot of insights about that. But the... the, the I would say the, the you know video I think is a is a key media and actually I've I, I've used it I've created a channel 
dedicated to data scientists where I'm giving them, you know, tips for the interviews, these kind of things. Mm. And that brought me a lot of uh, candidates. Uh, and, and it also works very well when you are in front of a prospect and you tell them that you have a YouTube channel dedicated to data scientists, you really uh, gain authority, you know, in, in your niche. Mm. So uh, I think this is uh, number one. Number two, of course, LinkedIn is the uh, uh, free advertising platform of, uh, for, for, for uh, search consultants. So I, I post uh, at least once a week um, uh, a post that I write myself either about my niche or about recruitment. Um, and uh, number three is I uh, actually, cons- well, I, my, my project this year is to, to, to do a podcast uh, with the uh, probably chief data officers uh, within my clients. Wow. Okay. So you're on it. Yeah. You're, uh, yeah. <laughs> you're copying my format. <laughs> Very good. Um, and and what's, what's the business culture like in, in France? I think the, the perspective of people outside of it is that, you know, France is kind of a difficult place to do business and people are always on strike. And, you know, we have stereotypical <laughs> views. But then I'm hearing that the recruitment market there is really good. So, like, maybe you could give us a little insight into that. Yeah, sure. So, well, you know, France. Um, well, first, I think it's it's uh, it's better to speak French. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, yeah, uh, basically, it's and even to you know to understand the the, the cultures and uh, you know the the little subtleties that that there are. So so that, that that's one. Two is I, I agree it's a great market for recruitment because one of the reasons for that is uh, written search uh, is accepted by a lot of HR people or even uh, managers. Uh, if I compare it to Dubai, which is a very contingent-driven market, mm. uh, France is still is still quite uh, uh, okay with the return search. Um, and yes, I agree. The the the, the, the difficulties uh, is is really are really linked to the labor law because basically, when, when when you have a job in France, after the probation period, you are in a very secure place, and so people mm. are less likely to change job. You know, you really have to get a great opportunity in front of them. To, for them to consider moving. And also when they move, they have a three months notice period. Almost all of them. Three months, right? Three months. In, in Belgium, they, you kind of get an extra month on your tax. It, mm-hmm. does, does that happen in France as well, where you get like after you've been employed for a certain amount of time? Mm-hmm. Um, well, if, uh, you mean getting some, some money at the moment you leave? Uh, no, like if you're in a job there mm-hmm. and you've done like 12 months, yeah. I think you qualify for an extra month's pay, maybe the the next next month. Uh, sometimes, yes, it depends. Some companies yeah. do that, some don't. Yeah. All right. Um. So that's interesting. So so executive search is more uh, is more is more uh, acceptable. What type of rates are charged in France? Um, average twenty twenty five. Um, I know the the big five still are around one third. Uh, but I've heard that they go below sometimes. Mm. Uh, but I've, I've rarely heard of, uh, anybody doing uh, less than twenty percent. Okay. So, so, and how do the UK recruitment companies perform there? I know Robert Walters and Michael Page and S three all have big offices there. Yeah. Have are they are they quite francophone specific in in the way that they operate? Uh, I don't really come across them, so I, I don't really know. What I know yeah. is, uh, yeah, they, they are uh, they are uh, they are big. Uh, they have a name, uh, and uh, you know, they 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 recognize. To be honest, they, they don't always have a great reputation. Uh, some of them, but uh, yeah. you know, I guess like uh, <laughs> like everybody. Yeah. So. And what 
what's your plans for for the future like are you thinking that you might because like, you're you're at that point where you're you're nearly you're through like you're over three years in mm. um you've created a really good job for yourself mm-hmm. um like are you like are, are you looking at it like i am at this stage thinking hmm how can i get how can i get turn this into more of a business and less of a less <laughs> of a job yeah yeah i, I think about it all the time the thing is that... <laughs> i know a lot of like it's it's the constant thought of an independent operator <laughs> so um sorry i didn't get but so Hello? where you're at right now yeah oh it's the typical one. Yeah. how are you going to get to the next stage yeah 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 uh it's i don't know you know i think i think is i what i don't want to do is i don't want to hire junior uh, consultants um, and you know have a high turnover and this kind of things which i know a lot of uh, uh, recruitment business owners uh, uh, are going through at the moment uh, whom mm. i know um, I, you know I, and so if i if i create a team actually i want to create really a special forces team you know with uh, people who are only uh, uh, you know top performers and so but before i do that actually my personal goal is to be a 1 million biller and so and and once i've done that uh, you know, I, I'm working on a system. Uh, it's a, it's a work in progress. And once once I'm there, I think I will write a book actually. You know, on how I started from scratch and went to a one billion billing. And once I know how to do mm. that, then I can train other people to do it as well. Can you outline what that so, system is? Uh, you know, it, well, the the ones to st- the one to start is the one I described. Huh? Uh, I think it's it's great if you want to start fa- fast to use the MPC methodology. Yeah. And, and start contingent and become retained after one year, typically. And then uh, the current system that I work on, so I've been working a lot with uh, uh, somebody called Marcus Kauke from the Sandler Training. Um, I think he's a, he's a genius uh, of sales. And so basically it's, you know, it's really having the right KPIs um, to use the digital marketing as we talked yeah. about. And uh, it's really about discipline. Is, you know? so is, every moment, is Marcus from yeah. the industry or is he from... General market. Used to be a headhunter. He, he used to be a headhunter, and now he's a sales trainer. Okay. With Sandler training, which I think is the best sales methodology in the world. Very good. Well, you'll have to pass his details on to me. I'd love to get him on the podcast. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. So, so you're working out. Are you so, working out a bit yeah. of a, a predictive system in terms of? That's it. You'll be able to bring in more candidates and more and more clients and match them together based on based on data analytics and social media yeah i, I don't so i don't use uh, uh, analytics solutions enough but uh, i know you know if, if i do a certain number of calls every day i'm going to close a, a you know, certain number of uh, deals every month etc so so I, I, it's really mathematics right and so uh, on a daily basis i follow my kpis uh, on a monthly basis as well and uh, and I know, you know, if I do the right number of calls, etc., I'm going to achieve my goal. Yeah. Uh, how how do you think you'll be able to do that when you're doing your podcast and your videos and like like <laughs> that type of stuff starts taking up more and more of your time? Yeah. Well, I've seen it you know, when I did the the, the first videos. Yeah. Um, I think you know you have to you have to work. Uh, you know, I I start at eight, I finish at eight, I uh, <laughs> I work. Most of the days, uh, seven days a week, you know. So it's uh, that, that's how you do it. And but I agree, you know, you have to outsource. You have to uh, probably look at v- virtual assistants, uh, maybe uh, more resources. That's yeah. for sure. Uh, 
Have, um, have you done any of that? Uh, actually, yet? so what? Um, so what I did very recently, actually, is I set up a partnership uh, with uh, an exec search firm here in Paris called Agora Search, which is uh, one of the most uh, well-established. It's been uh, created in 1979, and um, and so we work. Uh, uh, together on some of the searches I work for. So basically it means that I can benefit from uh, uh, some of their people and they have a 20 uh, people team here in Paris. So, so you know, so that's what I start, I'm starting to do at the yeah. moment. That, makes, and, that um, makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of us yeah. who, are, who, who, who don't want to scale per headcount and mm. maybe we have more candidates or we might have more more clients would depend on whatever your flow is and what, what your speciality is. It does make sense to get, to build these partnerships and have split placements. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And yeah. And do you think that, that it, so, so you'd be looking to do more of that, will you? Yes. And, uh, and also I, th- I think the, the key, uh, the key for me is to increase my fees basically. So I'm starting, to, I'm starting to do that now, but now I have minimum fees mm-hmm. and I'm not negotiating on that. And, uh, you know, it's easy. I, th- I think as a, as a solopreneur, as a solo uh, uh, headhunter, I, c- I can do around 20 placements a year. You know, like it's difficult to do more if you want to be qualitative. That's my, my, that's my take mm. on it. And so to do 1 million, it's easy. You have to do a 50,000 euro uh, average uh, fee. So I'm far from that at the moment. But uh, this is where I have to go. This is the minimum fee of the big five, by the way. So, you know, there is place somewhere here to, for, for somebody. And by the big five. You mean executive mm-hmm. search firms, is that right? Yes, contrary, Egon Zenders. Yeah. yeah, okay, excellent. Um, I get serious business envy when you start talking about your fees and percentage rates. <laughs> um, I, it, uh, when you look at the data, because you do data analytics and AI, do you have a sweet spot within that? Um, so, you know, I started with data scientist uh, position. Yeah. So this is really the, the one I'm, I'm the best at. And, uh, but then... Uh, the, the ones where I've done really nice fees are chief data officer positions. Okay. And have you stayed away from the, uh, is the analytics stuff more junior and is, is AI just a kind of buzzword? Uh, it depends, you know, because there, there's so many things, uh, you know, some people call themselves data analyst, data scientists. It doesn't mean uh, the same. So uh, <laughs> it depends. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I started to work uh, when I started the, the company. I, st- I worked on really junior, fresh graduate positions. Mm. This is something I don't do anymore uh, due to my minimum fee. And, uh, and yes, I'm, I'm, I'm going more and more towards the C uh, suite. Very good. Yeah. The, do you think, did you do any research before you jumped in? Because I, like, I'm a tech recruiter and I've flirted with the idea of setting up a, a tech recruitment business as well. And I, when, I, when I look at the technology stack, I, you know, I, I think, oh, data scientists, and that sounds good. Cyber sounds good. Um, there's quite a lot doing development. How did you come to a decision that data data scientist was the right one? Like, was there any 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 research that you did? Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, uh, one of the things I saw was uh, it was uh, uh, said to be the sexiest job of the 21st century. <laughs> yeah. So that triggered my interest. Yeah. Uh, and then you know I was reading you know all over the place that companies were struggling to find them basically. Um, so, and, and the other thing is my specialty as an engineer was image processing, which is very, very close to data science. Mm. So I, you know, I said that there was really something to do in that area. Yeah. Because they, they have to be able to code, don't they? Data scientists, but yeah. they, 
they could probably come from an economics background as well from the analytics side so they're they're like a hybrid of of really smart people yeah 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 i agree i agree uh i think the the basic skill is really mathematics so so and uh then you have different, you know, you also have different types of data scientists. Uh, so, yeah, but basically it's, uh, it's people who know who are good with numbers. Very good. And, and you think uh, if, you can, if you can get up to the million, will you put all the learnings that you put together and write a book on it? Is that what you said? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Excellent. That, uh, <laughs> that, when, when, can we, uh, when, when can we see that in the press? <laughs> Not before three years. Not before three years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, Nicholas, thanks very much for coming on and uh, giving us an insight into life in, life in Paris and, uh, and the market there. My pleasure. Thank you. It was a, a pleasure and honor to be a part of the podcast. podcast. And, uh, you know, uh, if anybody wants to reach me, uh, uh, you know, LinkedIn is the, the best way and I'm happy to, uh, to, to get in touch. Well, you, you know, you're exactly the type of people we want on here who are, who are out on their own figuring it out using the best advisors in the marketplace and uh and mm. building something that you know you're going to be proud of and that you enjoy doing that you're passionate about and you know, that's that's what we want so uh yeah thanks so much it was great to get to know you you're welcome same here take care pal Bye. Cheers. Massive thanks to Nicholas for coming on the podcast. I think uh, if I've learned anything in the past few months, it's if you are going to set up by your own and you're at the start of that journey and you've got a few pounds in the bank, do engage an advisor. You know, he's obviously engaged Roy and he was able to kind of walk him through a lot of areas that will, you know, he picked out a niche area he mapped out who he wanted to work with, potentially. He he then broke down doors through using good candidates. He had a whole process around it from engaging candidates to engaging clients. And there's loads of people out there that uh, can help you through this point and can be a bit of a sounding board. I've never done it myself. And I wonder where I'd be if I had used the skills I had as an IT recruiter and engaged somebody to educate me on all the stuff I actually know now back when I started, but will not know that. So anyway, great, uh, great wee business he has. I, I, you know, as an independent operator, I really like to hear that there's other ways that we can build our business that's not just hiring another salesperson that we have to manage and have to babysit and have to replace. And like, that's fine, that model works, but, you know, why not? Why not figure out ways to get more people engaged through media, through technology, working out who in your database wants to wants wants to move and when they should move and what's the right move for them and and you know maybe you don't have all the relationships so you you create a split partnership network out there and you you make sure that you know you're constantly using everybody in your network to build your business and not just relying on like hiring kids and throwing them a phone book and telling them away you go so i think uh, nicholas and lots of others out there are realizing that they can do this and are proving that i mean if he's confident enough to get to a million on his own 
there's a there's a testament there that uh that it's all out there so what's stopping you we'll be back tomorrow thanks for listening